This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. That's not America. What's no, up, Midas Mighty, and welcome to a very special edition of the Midas Touch podcast. Ben Micellis joined by Brett Micellis and the very animated Jordy Micellis, who, as many of you probably know now, is becoming a mime, basically, uh, on the podcast. Jordy (laughs) is taking the video aspect of the podcast to the next level. Those listening, I would say apologies, but you are better off not seeing (laughs) what Jordy is doing. Brett, Walk us through why this is a very special podcast. Hold up. Let me just say, look, we all play to our strengths in this group. So I help out where I can. Your strength is miming? What what are you getting at? Yeah. I went to mime never, I've never seen you be a mime before until we started a video podcast, though. This is literally the first time I've ever even seen you do any of this. I don't know why you're lying to the people right now. But Brett. Like Ben was saying, why don't you tell everyone why this is a very special episode or episodes? So somebody in uh, the chat the other day when we were doing the podcast pitched an idea that really struck us. And we were like, you know what? This is that could be really, really cool. What we realized is throughout the last few months, as the show's grown and we gained all these new listeners and followers and subscribers, a lot of people go, hey, you know who you need on the show? You guys need to get better work on the show. You guys got to get Rick Wilson on the show. You guys got to get Scaramucci on the show. And guess what? We've had all of these people on the show, in some cases, multiple times. So we thought, you know what? The video format is a new format for us. We've been delivering you the podcast in audio for a little bit now, for just a little over a year. It's uh, our anniversary past, which is Thank you for sticking with us for the year, but we've gained a lot of new listeners in that time. A lot of you guys haven't heard some of our best interviews, so we thought we would bring you a special best of for the next two weeks. We're going to bring you some of our favorite interviews that we had, starting with today. We're going to bring you our interview with Anthony Scaramucci and our first interview on this podcast with Michael Cohen. Those were some of my personal favorite interviews. This is Trump's inner circle strikes back former allies of Donald Trump who realized their wrong ways, changed course for different reasons and have been beacons of truth during during these very difficult times, especially. I just realized both Mooch and Cohen, every time we talk to them, they are two people, you know, usually we'll start like a a video interview with somebody. It's typically like a politician and they're like, hello, it's nice to meet you guys. I'm a big fan of you guys. I think Scaramucci, once we got on the video chat with him right before he went recorded, he was like, oh, you're the fucking maniacs who've been making all these videos, (laughs) right? You are right. And and Cohen's the same way. <laughs> these Co- are two people Cohen, who you know mince no ben. words, who are totally unfiltered. And I think this is why these are some of my favorite interviews that we've done so far. And you know how I know Ben is slightly unprepared for what we're about to do? It's because Michael Cohen and Ben got at it a little bit in the first in the first time we ever interviewed him. So was there really? some fighting in this? Um, we're gonna have to check the tape. 
I will have to check the tape. It will be very interesting to reflect back on whether I fought with Michael Cohen. But I also want to reflect back a little before we go on these interviews. I think for these Midas Touch podcast specials, it's helpful to reflect on the creation of Midas Touch. And specifically, we talked about Jordy just now. Jordy said he plays to his strengths. For those listening, he's waving to the camera. But here's a fun fact (laughs) about Jordy. Jordy's evolution within Midas Touch has been quite stark, quite transformative, (laughs) if you will be. Prior to Midas Touch starting, Jordy was known exclusively as Jordan. Really, nobody had called him Jordy since about the age of 10 was probably the last reference I recall of Jordy. But Jordy fully embraced Jordy. He's taken on this Captain Jordy identity. And Jordy, maybe speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're going to say like that, let me just say that one it's all your fault. Why I'm going as jo- it's all your fault. Why I changed my name to Jordy. When we were taking these very serious interviews early on with Midas touch and like meeting people and trying to do things out into the real world, Ben would only refer to me in the meetings as Jordy. Now this was definitely Ben trying to play big bro and like, you know, stiff arm me a little bit. And I, you know, I just took it. And then I realized that when we were doing these interviews, people would leave and they'd say, okay, bye Jordy or whatever on the Zooms. And I'm like, that's, that's not my name. But we you did know have what? a couple months of Midas Touch with Jordy pushing back and going, I'm Jordan, I'm Jordan, I'm I Jordan. Actually and finally he goes, I'm Jordy now. <laughs> Changed because, his name, because, accepted it. Yeah, because being your guys' younger brother is very difficult. And what I've realized is the more you try and fight things, the more they stick and, and stay. Now, me embracing the Jordy was just to make sure that it would maybe go away. But jokes on you guys. I love going by Jordy. It's the ultimate black belt jujitsu move by yeah, Jordy right there. Move. Professional and- younger brother move to take the nickname, fully embrace it, and then make it even more popular. Well done, Jordy. And here is, I believe, why Ben called you Jordy in the first place. It's because really Ben moved out of the house to go to college, you know, when he was 17 (laughs) or 18 and you guys are eight years apart. And so you were only 10. So you were very much Jordy by the time Ben was fully formed. It's an excellent point. When Ben left, I was still 10 (laughs) and being referred to exclusively in the house as Jordy. And so I think that Ben still uh, has you in his mind as that 10 year old kid. So, okay. There you have it. You just got into the insight of the brothers from Midas Touch podcast on this special edition with Anthony Scaramucci from his February 5th interview debut with Midas Touch with Michael Cohen from February 2nd, who I apparently got into it with. Um, We'll see and or we'll listen to. And so let's start off with the Midas Touch February 5th interview of Anthony Scaramucci. We have someone we've been trying to get for many Scaramucci's. It's the man, the myth, the legend, Anthony Scaramucci, former White House communications director, founder of Skybridge Capital and host of Mooch FM. There's a new episode tomorrow. So Anthony Scaramucci, welcome. But I want to say this. It was very Machiavellian of me to have you on our podcast as a guest to compete against your own podcast dropping tomorrow. <laughs> hey, look, I, I, hey man, I love it. I mean, thank you. Guys, you know, I want to congratulate the three of you lunatics on moving the needle. Okay. As it relates to impressions and uh, 
as you three know better than anybody, the proverbs or the cliche about a picture being a thousand words, those videos that you guys put up were worth a million words because they were emotional. And, you know, you know, I don't know, maybe it was Maya Angelou. People don't remember what you said, but they remember how you made them feel. And you were capturing literally the sinister nature of what was going on. Now we can talk about why I was involved with it or not happy to do that. But here's the lesson from my life. And this is what I would say to my kids. If you've got something wrong, you're going to make mistakes in life. So you got to forgive yourself when you get something wrong, but you can't stay wrong. Right. You said you guys are a lot younger than me. You got something wrong. You got to say, okay, I'm wrong. And then you got to get out of the situation. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And look, you got out of the situation and what you're doing now, though, I think is more important than ever. I mean, right now, this strain of Trumpism in the GOP is an existential threat to democracy. So I know our work at Midas Touch isn't done. We're going to still make these videos. And so what, what are you going to be doing, Anthony Scaramucci? Are you continuing, you know, yes, the path no, that you're I mean, you know, it's an unfortunate thing because let me just be totally candid with you. I'm not a politician. That's obvious. I, I, I did part of my podcast uh, was a young guy that's the Washington Post journalist. And he said, yeah, you know, we were all surprised that you lasted even 11 days. When you got out to the press podium, you were like, oh my God, this guy's too honest. There's no way he can make it in Washington. Yeah, boom, 11 days later, I'm Hilarious. out of my ass. But honestly, I never wanted to be in politics. So weirdly, I'm like the Michael Corleone of politics. I'm trying to get the fuck out and they keep bringing me back in. And so here's the thing I will say, because you guys grew up on Long Island and so you know the area. I grew up in Port Washington, which is the North Shore. It's a very nice community. My dad was the crane operator for the sand bank in Port Washington. And so if you remember Port Washington, if you guys have ever been there, we had this big sand bank. We mined sand there, Irish, Italian, and Welsh immigrants for 95 years. And then that sand got shipped over to Long Island City, mixed into concrete, and built the skyscrapers in New York. So I grew up in a blue-collar neighborhood, even though it was an affluent town. I benefited from that school system. But I got into politics because I didn't have a network. So now I'm coming out of Harvard. My parents, by the way, thought it was Hartford. I mean, you can't fucking make that up, right? My mother's like, <laughs> are you going to Connecticut? I know, we're not going to Connecticut. But why would they call it Hartford Law School if it's not in Hartford? Because it's Harvard Law School, it's not Hartford, okay? I mean, so you know Long Island Italians, you know what I'm saying is true. And so now I'm trying to build a network. I'm a young boy in an old boy's network. So I write my first check to Rudolph Giuliani, it's 1989. Some of you weren't even born back then. I'm writing the check because I need to meet people in New York City. He loses the mayor's race. I develop a friendship with him and we can talk about him if you want. I choose to remember him like he was, <laughs> not what happened to him, this ridiculous cartoonish distortion. But you know, now we're working together. He wins the mayor's race, it's very good for me. I'm bringing clients into Goldman. He introduces me to Pataki. You guys probably don't remember him, but he was the governor. And then Rudy is Rudy. So he introduces me to Pataki. I'm working for Pataki. He goes and endorses Mario Cuomo, you know, Chris and Andrew's father. That's Rudy, right? So my point is I got into politics for business reasons. I'm not a politician. And I'm 57 years old today, 57 years young. I'm in it now. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm now in it. I love the country. I'm a byproduct of the country. 
Um, you know, I've lived a very good part of the American dream. You know, I went from a blue collar family to building a couple of reasonably successful businesses. It could never happen, fellas, in any other country. So I absolutely love the country. I love the Constitution. I love our democracy. So we're going to fight for the democracy now. We got we to gotta fight on our hands for the democracy. So now it's not about policy to me now. It's about the democracy and it's about the institutions of America. And so for whatever reason, one party's decided, hey, let's flush that in the toilet. We've got an orange buffoon that wears high heels and a diaper and we're gonna worship at his altar. And so what we're gonna do is we have a 244 year old experiment that's going beautifully. Lots of people are being lifted out of poverty. Lincoln called it the last best hope for mankind. Your families have an immigrant story. My family has an immigrant story. We're all here trying to make a go of it. Is it fucked up here? Yeah, we've got racism. We've got anti-Semitism. We got anti-Italianism. Trust me on that. Everybody thinks I'm stolen the mafia when I go to the Midwest. <laughs> so you got you got anti-everythingism in the country. I'm not saying that you don't, but it's a country of social progress, and it's a country moving towards right. the arc of more moral justice. Okay, and so when you get an intercession like Donald Trump who is stoking all of this fear, all of this nativism, all of this locality, if you will, all of this xenophobia, you're like, okay, you're wrecking it for everybody else. What the hell are you doing? So yeah, we got to fight it. And, and what you're bringing up, which is totally true, which I'm super worried about, these younger motherfuckers, we allowed to curse on this podcast? We no? curse all the time. Oh, God, all the time. Sure crazy. I like cursing. By the way, Steve Bannon couldn't do what I said, right? Unless he was into hot <laughs> yoga, which of course you can tell by how fat he is. There's no way he could do what I said. But we'll, we can get there too if you want. But let's just go back to this point that I'm trying to make. I mean, I mean, this fucking guy wants to destroy the democracy for what reason exactly and, and why? And now what do we know? We got a group of people in the country that are racist. We got a group of people that are nativists. There's a group of people that don't like the browning of America. They don't like the color transformation or this beautiful mosaic that we've created. So they want to stop you from voting. They want to impose their ideas on you. And let me tell you something. These sons of bitches like Hawley and Cruz, two traitors, by the way. Uh, I mean, traitors, seditionists. Yeah. Um, they're smart guys. You know, Cruz went to Harvard Law School. He had uh, Larry Tribe as a con law professor. So we got we to gotta knock these guys' lights out. We have to put these guys away. And I'm going to be there working tirelessly to do that over the next three or four years. Mooch, I, How do we I put them say, away? Sorry, Brett, you go. I, I just wanted to say, what you said about them being smart guys, if I'm being totally candid with you, is what worried me so much about you when you took over the role of communications director. I remember vividly the day that you replaced Sean Spicer in the press briefing room, and my reaction was, shit. This is a guy who could speak, who could actually communicate. He's not a buffoon like Spicer was. And at the time, I thought Trump was evil, as I do now. Um, and I was watching you, and I thought, I thought you were scary because I thought you were a very good messenger and very good at what you do. Thankfully for us, you only lasted 11 days in the role, and now you're on the side of good. But I, I just remember being well, like, no, this is a, a smart I, I listen, in a way you're. Dude. In the weird way, you're complimenting me, so I'll say thank you. But here's the thing: okay? what, I was, what I was going for with Trump, when I was going for with Trump, which I got wrong, 
And I, I got to try to explain this to you guys. And you have a great listenership. So I, I pray to God that your listeners are listening, okay? My dad was an hourly worker. I would never dishonor him by telling you I grew up poor. I did not grow up poor. We had a nice middle-class lifestyle. We had one full bathroom, uh, you know, air conditioners going in and out of the uh, windows. You know, we shared a bicycle. My brother and I shared a room. We were fine. But we didn't have a lot of money. We were tight with expenses, you know, but we had a living wage. My father had a living wage. When I got on that campaign, remember, guys, I'm the garden variety Republican. I was working for Bush. Now, my mistakes are ego-based. So you got to really pay attention. You're young guys. Don't make ego-based decisions because you'll hurt yourself. So my decisions were about my own self-narrative. I'm like, okay, I'm with Jeb. He's out of the race. He dislikes Trump. I'm going to be open-minded. I have a good relationship with Trump dating back to NBC, you know, and uh, I'm going to go work for Trump because I'm a loyal Republican. I start self-talking myself into it, even though I was railing on him when I was working for Jeb Bush. And now I'm there, but then I have this epiphany and you guys have to hear this. I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm in Flint, Michigan. I'm in Toledo, Ohio. And our society's wrecked, guys. Okay, it's wrecked. Okay, you have people that are economically desperate that could be my dad, but they're born 30 and 40 years after my dad. Right. So my dad, born in 1935, he has a living wage in 65, 75, and 85. But by the time you get to 05, this working class aspiration is converting into working class desperation. You guys see that? Absolutely. So, yeah. so, so Brett, what drew me to Trump was he was there with those people. And I was like, all right, he's a little bit of a buffoon. He's saying some things that are obnoxious. He's saying some things that I'm going to cognitively dissonantly ignore, which is my fault. I have to own that. I'm 100% wrong to do that. But hopefully he's going to solve that problem and re-knit the society. And of course, he doesn't do that. He's a narcissistic flamethrower, nihilist, right. and he's going to try to self-destruct the society alongside of his own self-destruction. So I got that wrong. But, but Brett, I would have never lasted on that job because once he got to Charlottesville, I was already denouncing that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and where I was me. going with that was yeah. I was going, I was going to say that I think it's very, imp- I think your voice is incredibly important. And I think that allowing the Scaramucci's of the world back into the fold and allowing them to be voices against Trumpism, which is now just straight up fascism, I think is so important to our democracy. And I think we could do it in a way that doesn't sacrifice our own values as to what we believe, because I agree 100% with what you were saying, that this isn't about party anymore. This is a battle well, for democracy. Well, you obviously didn't see Tiffany Cross beating the shit out of me over the weekend, though, right? You missed that. You must have missed that. I saw the clip. And what's your response to that? You know, listen, I mean, she was coming at me. She had an ax to grind. There's a group of people on the left that anybody that's worked for Trump has lost the litmus test. They failed the litmus test. And so they need to be tarred and feathered and they have to have an orange tattoo on their forehead forever. And, you know, so she came at me calling me radicalized and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, my response to her, and again, I, kept my cool. I was like, what do you want to do with the 74 million people, guys? Right. We want to do, we want to hive off the country and float them out into the Atlantic Ocean. I don't want to do that. I want to reach those people. Those people are with Trump for a reason. We have to understand why 
And then we have to explain to them, okay, but we have a better solution than that nonsense, okay? Yes, Trump is an avatar for your anger. Yes, you're not doing well. And Trump's railing on the media, he's railing on Wall Street, he's railing on people in Washington, and he's bullying everybody on his Twitter feed. And yes, yes, I got all that. But if you're that anger-based, if you're that hot, it's because you're missing something in your own life. You know, guys, in 1940, Franklin Roosevelt was running for an unprecedented third term. And he was running against Wendell Wilkie, who turned out to be a very good man, by the way, and helped him during the war. But he was also running against the America First movement, which was sponsored by the Nazi-loving Charles Lindbergh. And he gave a speech in 1940. I can send you the clip. And it was a brilliant speech. And it's so appropriate to today, 81 years later, what Franklin Roosevelt said is, hey, these people are nativistic. They're nationalistic. Their populism is born from their anger and their economic anxiety. If we can solve that problem and give them opportunity and those four freedoms that he was writing about and speaking about, uh, we can dial down the nonsense of nationalism and populism. And of course, it had to wait five years because we went to war. But just think about where America was 46 to 61. It was prosperous and it was creating jobs and it was growing. You didn't have a lot of nationalism and a lot of populism and a lot of that vitriol. So, and it's, by the way, it's the same thing in Palestine. It's the same thing in Afghanistan. You give people a life and an aspirational hope for their children, and you give them an iPhone and a girlfriend and a hot Hollywood t-shirt, they don't want to blow themselves up. I'm just giving you the heads up. They don't want to do it. So Tiffany Cross going off on me, that's fine. You can isolate me and turn me into a pariah if you want, or we can get together as a group of people and figure out what our differences are and figure out a way to heal our society and create an off-ramp for many of those people that down deep know that there's something off. You know, you, you, you're storming the Capitol because you believe that the election was stolen and you're going to kill a police officer. Three or four people are going to die, five people in total when it's all over with the suicide. More than Benghazi, by the way, all these Republican nonsense stuff. I mean, this is an unmitigated tragedy and we have to fix it. So guess what? You, you guys are part of that solution because good men and women who love the country have to activate to fix it. Now, we may not agree on every single thing. And I made a mistake uh, working with Donald Trump. I admit that. But, uh, but there's 74 million people that voted for him, guys. And so, you know, one of the things I would love to have you guys do with some of your media touch and some of your marketing genius is get in their shoes, empathize with them, put a 60 second commercial out like, hey, is this how you're feeling? Is this why you were with Trump? You know, and, the, but, and then the last 15 seconds is like, well, you know, but this is what he's doing. Stop. You know right from wrong. What he's doing is classically un-American, what he right. is doing. He's the most un-American president that we've ever had. He's a domestic terrorist. He's a seditionist. He's an insurrectionist. So stop what you're doing. Think about your civic virtue, your values as a human being, your family. Do you see what I mean? We have to reach those people. You guys murdered Trump in the, uh, in the videos and the stuff that you did. You know, Mazel tov a million times. It was fabulous. And you helped to consolidate a group of people against him. So we had 81 million people 
that were influenced by you, Lincoln Project, the Democrats, et cetera. You. Me, maybe, knock on wood, I hope so. And then you had 74 million people for him. That's fucking scary, by the way, that there were 74 million people for him, given how nuts he is, okay? Yeah. And by the way, you guys know this. Uh, President Biden only won by 73,000 votes in those key states. Right, yeah. Okay, it was slightly more than Trump won by last time, but we don't, hold on, we can't have that. The democracy, we were about to get an authoritarian, Hungarian, authoritarian style government from Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah. We, we, we almost had that in our own country, guys, okay? You can't have that in the United States. That'll ruin the world. I don't think anybody so, quite realizes how close we were to really losing it all to losing American democracy. I think we I, were extremely I, close. And I still think we're- I close. realize it. Let me fucking tell you, man, I still sleeping with it. I mean, I'm still got sleepless nights thinking about it. And I still got sleep, sleepless nights thinking, oh, wait a minute, you got Hawley and Cruz and this Bozo McCarthy, which I, I could talk about forever because I used to give him money. I used to hang out with him. These guys have decided they're going full on, man. We're going to go full white, racist nativism. That's going to be our mantra. We're going to consolidate this party. We got 74 million votes doing this. Uh, there's another 10 million votes that we can get out from voter participation. The Jews, the blacks, the progressives, the radical left, whatever the voting blocks are, that's 81 million. They all came out. But we got another 10 million lunatics that we can get out and we can go 84, 81 and take back the country. And who cares? The ends justify the means. You see what they're doing? What was McCarthy like in private? So McCarthy has morphed into this principalist coward, okay? But when he was a younger guy, you know, he was an acolyte of Jack Kemp. And I don't know if you remember Jack Kemp, but Jack Kemp was the conservative, but he was the garden variety, loved everybody conservative. He had played in the NFL. He had a huge following in the African-American community. And he was an acolyte alongside of Eric Cantor and Paul Ryan. They were called the Young Turks. And then, you know, he was aspiring to the Speaker of the House. He got caught doing something personally. He got knocked out of that job. So Paul Ryan reluctantly took it. But where Kevin is now in his life, he's my age. He's 57. Looks like shit. Because what happens is when you're working for Donald Trump, he's poisoning you from the inside. Okay. Now, the good news is, good Lord, save my ass. I got ejected like an Austin Powers villain. And so I got saved from that shit. But he was putting the poison in these people. And that's why Kevin looks like he's fucking 200 years old. But he's my age. And he is so ambitious. He is so ambitious. He's so egos. Ted Cruz is like seven, eight years younger than me. I said, look at Ted Cruz. (laughs) Cruz is like 35. Fucking grandpa monster, the fucking guy, right? And he's Cruz is sleeping Cruz, upside down on a fucking Cruz, plot. Yeah, I mean, Cruz is like my age. Guy, Ted Cruz, to me, is everything that you don't want to be in life, okay? He's a coward. He's a moralizer, uh, which is all bullshit. He's a hypocrite. And when Trump went after his wife, Ted Cruz, you know, put knee pads on his elbows, okay, to try to give Trump a blowjob. I mean, I mean, the guy's a disgusting guy. And then he goes after uh, Ted's father says he helped commit the assassination of JFK. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? When Trump went after my wife, I told Jonathan Swan, watch what I do to this guy. You're going after my wife on, your, on the presidential Twitter feed? Who the hell do you think you are? You're not allowed to do that to somebody like me. I'm a neighborhood guy from Long Island. You're not going after my wife. 
Okay. Back. So then we had to get the uh, we had to get the big guns out. We just started blasting and blasting them. And then he started hitting me back, and he's like an amateur with the trolling. He doesn't know how to troll properly, so I'm hitting him. Just go back and look at the trolling. And then I'm blasting. <laughs> I'm saying he's like Trump noble. Then I called him the Wicked Witch of the West Wing. <laughs> and then I got knocked off of Twitter because I called him Fidel Adolf Trump because I had to get the fat shaming in there because he's a fat fuck, right? And I then I got knocked. You're not allowed to got kicked shaming. off for that. Yeah, I got kicked off for 12 hours. That's I called tame. him Fidel Adolf Trump. I got the dictatorship in there with the fatness, and I got knocked off of Twitter. But my point oh, is, you're not coming after a guy like me. I'm going to fucking fight to the death. I don't give a fuck. Oh, well, what about your business? And I, no, I don't give a fuck. You're not coming after my family. <laughs> okay, so I want to frame this for you. These guys are moral cowards. These guys are all about political expediency. These guys are all about the ends justifying the means. And these guys have figured out that there's a very large swath of white America that is buying catheters and my pillows from Fox News commercial interruptions. This is this aging group of white Americans that want to hold on to the old guard power structure. Uh, and so the Republican Party is going to try to suppress voting. And the Republican Party is going to try to hold people back uh, as opposed to changing and reinventing itself and opening itself up and, and right. making itself look like the more beautiful, colorful mosaic of America. That's the move that they're trying to make. That is a disaster for the country. OK, and so Kevin McCarthy, this guy, Josh Hawley, I mean, is a disgrace. OK, uh, Ted Cruz. I mean, we could name the people, the woman. What from, happened to your guy Giuliani, though? I want to hear about that. What, what is his motivation now? Is he just drunk every day? What, what's even going on there? Look, there I'm shutting my video off for one second. I'm going to do a moment of silence for Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to silence. All right. Now I'm back on. I'm back on. I mean, you got to be fucking kidding me, Rudy, right? And you can't reach Rudy. You know, I tried to reach out to him when he got the COVID, but he's in another, he's in another zip code now. And so what happened with a guy like Rudy, he wants to be relevant, you know? And so Rudy wants to live in the bubble. He wants to be on Air Force One. He wants to fly on Marine One. He wants to be in the suburban behind the president's entourage or maybe in the limo. He wants to be at the state dinner. So Rudy has decided that he wants to be relevant. When you talk to Rudy and you say, hey, Mayor, what about your legacy? I mean, you were helped rebuild the city. You were there for us in 9-11. Why are you doing this? He said, why are you creating this caricature and this distortion? I don't care about my legacy, he'll say. Uh, I'll be dead. What difference does it make? And so that's Rudy. And, and let me tell you what Trump does to people, okay? You want to talk about ugliness. He moves the goalposts on you because he's a narcissistic manipulator. So what happens is Michael Cohen's a friend of mine. I went to visit him twice in jail. So, Michael, you're a good guy, right? Yes, Mr. Trump. Okay, do this for me. Okay, Michael, you're a good guy. Yes, Mr. Trump, do this for me. Oh, Michael, I need you to do this for me. And before you know it, you're in a fucking barrel going right. over Niagara Falls. You've lost all your personal integrity and you've lost all your principles. And so, and you're sitting there waking up from that fever that you were in saying, well, well, why did I do that? Why did I become a Donald Trump groupie and do that? Okay, and so, and then some people say to me, well, you know, you got fired, otherwise you would have been a Donald Trump groupie. And the answer to that is obviously no, because you guys don't know what was going on in that 11 days. If you think I got fired for what I said about Steve Bannon, you don't understand what happened. Get General Kelly to do the podcast 
and he'll tell you why I got fired. Okay, you, 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 you're smart enough to figure it out. But my point is, we have to defeat these people. Then we can worry about a two-party system and we can worry about center-right politics versus center-left politics. But we have to defeat these people. We got the last question. Jordy, you've been awfully quiet. You got the cool hip-hop outfit right there, man. You want to ask Scaramucci a question or are you just going to no, fold? I, not only do I want to ask him a question, it's a good question, but, but Mooch, they do this to me all the time, man. They pick on me. They wait for me to do the last question. But this time, it's a really great question. So it's actually a story <laughs> that the brothers don't know, and it's about you Setting and me. Expectations. All right, so oh, it's yeah, a good one. Yeah. So, so it's 2018, maybe 2019, a year and a half ago, whatever. Uh, I'm at MSG for a Bill Maher uh, stand-up event. And all of a sudden, you know, lights flicker on and off, telling everybody to go to their seats. I just start to hear like a thunderous roar from the crowd. I'm like, what's going on? Bill's not on stage yet. The loud, like it gets louder and louder. And so I'm like, is LeBron James in the building? What is happening right now? <laughs> I turn around. Do you remember this? I turn around. Well, you wouldn't remember me, but you remember this. And everyone is just chanting Scaramucci and like just <laughs> thunderous applause. Mooch chants. It was crazy. People were getting out of their seats to go and shake your hand and take pictures. It was wild. So with that, you clearly have the base behind you. I know earlier you said that, you know, you're not a politician, but if you ever wanted to run for something, I think you would win pretty much hands down against anybody. Are there any sort of, you know, political office runs in the well, future? You, know, you could be, because you're from Long Island, you're from Plainview, you could be biased in the way you're thinking about it. And that, you know, you know, that was a very <laughs> sweet thing that happened to me. I walked in there. It was and wild. People, and then Bill came out on stage. If you remember, he goes, by the way, that wasn't a boo, man. That was Mooch. And I used to go, Lou, Lou Pinella, Lou. Exactly. Yes, and yes. Bill was like, I've just, you know, I mean, you know, I never heard that kind of commotion before I got started, you know. And then I went backstage with Bill afterwards. Him and I become very close friends. So that's the silver lining of the fiasco that happened to me. But, you know, I was almost divorced from my wife. I walked in with my wife, by the way, and I was almost divorced from her. We patched it up. Uh, she hates Trump almost as much as Melania hates him. I mean, the fucking right <laughs> up there, you know I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't. You got to give Melania her due. I mean, she's, you know, you got to put her at the number one spot. I think, right? But you know, my, you know, if she's like Michael Phelps, my wife is like Ryan Lochte of Trump. There you, go. you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, I, I've been really trying to focus on my marriage, and I've been okay. trying to focus on my kids, but I also love the country, so I'm out there doing radio, podcasts, television. I'm doing everything I can to explain what he is and what he's doing and how you have to break the fever, okay? Uh, if you tell me that there's an opportunity someday to go into public service and it makes sense for my family, Jordy, I'm open to it because I really do love the country and I've had a very good life and I wanna give back to the country, but it's gotta be the right thing and it's gotta be born from service not from the narcissism of power and like, you know, the idolatry of power. It's got to be born from an idea based on service. Okay. And that's not a politician talking. That's just how I really feel. Okay. It's not even a spin. And so it may never happen because who the hell knows what's going to happen in our society. But, you know, I'm not leaving New York. I can tell you that, you know, I was with Spike. Spike's doing a documentary on 9-11. He interviewed me last week. He's like, are you like one of those fucking guys going down to Florida? I said, no fucking way. I'll fucking shut the lights out on New York. I'm not leaving New York. Hell yeah. So, 
So if there's an opportunity to be part of the process of fixing and rebuilding New York, I'm open to it, but it's got to be the right opportunity. And it's got to be good for my wife and my kids, Jordy. Otherwise, I can't do it because I don't want to hurt the people that I love the most. You know what I'm saying? That's totally honest. Right. You know? Absolutely. But I, I got to say something to you guys. It. I know we got to go. I know the podcast is ending, but I got to say this to you guys. You're brilliant guys. Please listen to me on this, okay? There are 74 million people that voted for Donald Trump. Sure, some of them are insurrectionists that will go to the Capitol, but I'm telling you, a lot of them are mainstream people that were misguided or they thought they were voting for policy. They didn't see the evil that Brett was discussing, okay? And I'm telling you, you guys have great creativity. You have a great sense for imagery. Just do some brainstorming let's figure out a way to move some of those people. Because if it's 10 or 15 million people, Ben, if we can move 10 or 15 million people, Jordy, Brett, you're going to end Trumpism, okay? You're going to end Trumpism because right now, McCarthy, Hawley, and Cruz are saying, oh, that's great. We just got to get another 10 million people out of their fucking outhouses, put in their false fucking teeth and get them over to the voting booth. And we're going to beat people, and then we're going to pervert our society and ruin our democracy. We can't let that happen, okay? We have to overwhelm these people. You see that? And then we can debate about the policies, and we can debate about what's right or wrong for America. But right now, we have to defend the institutions of our democracy and the things that we know made our grandparents so proud to show up here. And Anthony, I hope that that's something that you and me and the brothers can work on together. I definitely I would, would be open would, to collaborating on videos. I would, I would and, love and that because together. this is the message I was trying to give Tiffany Cross. You know, I'm not mad at Tiffany Cross. I understand her anger. I'm going to say, we're probably in overtime, but you got to hear this, okay? I've never said this to anybody, but I'm going to say it on your podcast, okay? When I reflected on my conversation with Tiffany Cross, which wasn't going well, when it was over, I said to myself, you know, my work for Donald Trump, and by the way, accidentally, I swear on everything, but my work for Donald Trump contributed to a lot of pain in our society. I have never said that to anybody, okay? It, it traumatized my family, it traumatized me, but by accident, when Brett saw me on the podium, he's like, okay, this guy's gonna help Donald Trump, he's gonna enable nativism and racism. That wasn't my goal. I swear on everything, my goal was to try to see if we could heal the divide and close down the economic chasm. I didn't think we were going directionally where we are, but I'm letting you guys know, and I've never said this to anybody, that I'm smart enough to know that I cause a lot of pain by working for Donald Trump. I have to acknowledge that with people. The flip side is those people that voted for him, you have to find a way to get to them and help them get off the ramp that they're on right now, on that highway to destruction, Democrat, democracy destruction. You hear what I'm saying? Hear you loud and clear. 100%. Anthony Scaramucci, thank you so much for being on the Midas Touch it's podcast. We hope you'll come back and we look forward to collaborating with you. It's been we, great. We great probably time. didn't give a long enough moment of silence for Rudy, but that's fine. I mean, I <laughs> we, could all, we could all go right yeah, now. Moment of we could all go together. dark now and think about Rudy. Okay, that's for you, Rudy. Time all, right. He all right, hey guys, thank you very thank much. You. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast Ooh. Ooh. yo can we send that to kevin mccarthy can 
everybody please send that interview to Kevin McCarthy and Ted Cruz. That was one of the best clapbacks, best descriptions of those spineless cowards I have ever ever heard holy shit and that's why you said brett to him and i'm not sure if he knew what you were getting at when you said i am scared that i was really scared the moment you became the press secretary because you were <laughs> very competent and brilliant and knew what you were doing yeah that's what i tried to say and sometimes uh things <laughs> i try to say and what comes out isn't exactly you know what i intended <laughs> and so a i think he took that as a, he as a yeah he took that a, a little like a little bit of a microaggression a little bit of an insult but i actually meant like you got to think back to that first year of trump we had just had Sean Spicer, who was a total nut job. Then here comes Anthony Scaramucci, this very slick, well-spoken dude to the podium. And I was like, and I knew how horrible Trump was at the time. I think we all knew how horrible Trump was at the time. So I was scared that he actually had this polished, ready-for-TV guy who could theoretically be spewing his bullshit. That yeah. scared me, you know? But no, thankfully, I, 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 Mooch absolutely. is on our side. and uh, Poor Washington you know, guy. Poor Wash, Long Island guy, Islander. just like us. And, uh, you know, yeah. we, we need to have people like that on our side. We need to have people who have been in there and could call bullshit on these people. And Mooch, you know, for all the things that he had gotten into in the past that with the administration, he had really dedicated the last few years to getting Trump out of office. And I'm extremely thankful that he put all of his energy and all of his passion in doing that and doing it so successfully. And absolutely. And, and I don't think any question or question statement, whatever, however you want to refer to what the hell, whatever I asked him was aged more poorly than me admitting that I was at a Bill Maher standup. Jordy, we all, you know, Tough we all, question. we all went through a Bill Maher phase at least once. He wasn't always the, the, what, was, the Bill Maher that you see on TV. Got off the deep end. And, you know, we, we still watch him occasionally. We just, uh, you know, COVID broke his brain a little bit. So just a little bit. What, are you, what, what are you gonna do? <laughs> and speaking of having someone or something on your side, I'm happy to have better help on our side and on my side. This podcast is sponsored by better help. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Look, when we do Midas touch, it's a lot of work. Um, my work as a lawyer has a lot of work. My work generally um, requires a lot of focus, a lot of attention. And sometimes you need a mental health break. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not a self-help line. This is professional therapy done securely online with a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. This service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at www.betterhelp.com reviews. One review after another, praising BetterHelp for its prompt, its discreet services. 
Visit betterhelp.com slash Midas. That's better, H-E-L-P. And join over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for Midas Touch podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That's betterhelp.com slash Midas, M-E-I-D-A-S. That's betterhelp.com slash Midas. And I always say I'm grateful for our sponsors, Brett and Jordy, and I'm grateful for a sponsor like BetterHelp that provides those types of services in these uncertain times. Michael Cohen. If you asked me, I don't know, 18 months ago, do you think that you would be speaking to Michael Cohen frequently? Do you think you'd be executive <laughs> producing a podcast with Michael Cohen, uh, Maya Culpa with Michael Cohen? Do you think you would have had him on your podcast multiple times? I would have said, are you fucking out of your mind? Are you crazy? <laughs> no, of course not. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But uh, politics, I guess, makes strange bedfellows. And we've gotten to know Michael very well over the past uh, you know, 15 to 18 months or whatever it's been. Um, Michael is a guy who you know, has really put it all on the line and put it all out there and has really been committed to bringing down Trump, revealing the truth of Donald Trump and what happened in that administration and what happened with this man over decades and decades and decades. And I am thankful that he's doing so. I love the Maya Culpa podcast and Michael Cohen. Hope you guys are all listening and you can get a little taste of Michael's attitude, although we know you guys all know Michael Cohen at this point. Who doesn't know and love Michael Cohen at this point? Why don't we check out this interview, this interview interview with Cohen is from February 2nd, another fellow Long Island guy just like us. I'm excited to see this feud that he got in with you, Ben. I'm trying Definitely to, a little bit of a tip. Is it, is it actually like a fight? Well, let, let, let's let's check it out and let's, let, let's see. Here's our interview with Michael Cohen. The man who needs no introduction, a Long Islander, Michael Cohen, host of the Maya Culpa podcast, also executive produced by the Midas Touch Brothers. How are you, Michael? I'm doing good. What's up, gentlemen? I see we got a third one here today. The guy who went AWOL on me. I blame the other brothers. They totally boxed me up. The problem is a lot of our Twitter supporters are Team Jordy these days, and they're trying to fix that by showing up and doing more appearances than me. The true story That's is Jordy's, true, bed Jordy's bedtime is kind of around 8 p.m. And so basically anything after 5 p.m. Pacific time, we go, Jordy, you want to do Michael Cohen's podcast tonight? And it just goes radio silent for hours and hours and hours. And then the next day he goes, why don't you tell me you were going to be on Mea Culpa? And I said, dude, we did. You were sleeping. You total were sleeping. Fabric total fabrication. He's the baby of the family, isn't he? Yeah, Cohen, the fans think that the best brother is like a good looking contest. I mean, look, if you saw photographs of me in my mid 20s, it's a different kind of guy. So it should be viewed based on brain. Thank God. Thank God for that. Right. It should be viewed based on brain. I do have to say that, you know, time has not been a friend to you, but that's all right. I'm sure your personality hasn't changed much. It's, it's okay, Michael. At the end of the day, it's about personality. It's about intelligence. It's about charmingness. Shut the fuck up, Michael Cohen. Let's get right. right, right. Well, look, at least at least you have those three because the looks is not on your side. Let's get right into it, Michael Cohen. Michael, you've heard about. Yes, sir. We're both Long Island Jews and you've heard about the Jewish lasers that are causing the wildfires in California. 
according to Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> Can you believe, though, that after all of the crazy shit that she said, you know, including those anti horribly anti-Semitic things, her saying 9-11 is a hoax, her threatening the Parkland shooting victims as they were going to the Capitol building. And what is what does Donald Trump do? Supports her, throws at this moment, says that he's got she's got his full support. What do you think about that? Well, is it any different than what I had said last time? And I will repeat it again, and I will continue to repeat it till the day I die. Donald Trump is emphatically a racist. He is a sexist. He is a misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite. That's who he is. So the notion that he's going to turn around and he's going to denigrate Marjorie Taylor Greene for making these wildly stupid comments it's just not within his bandwidth because Donald Trump doesn't give a shit if you're Jewish. He doesn't care if you're Catholic. He doesn't care if you're Muslim. He doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself. So the fact that she makes a very inarticulate, borderline, fucking ridiculous comment about lasers, you know, um, from, from Jews, you know, starting forest fires. Why should Donald Trump get himself involved when he has more than enough shit on his own plate to deal with? Michael, we have the impeachment trial coming next week. See, I think you would make actually a great character witness for Trump in the sense that you knew his mindset. You know what he was saying to his supporters. Now, I don't know if you're going to testify you know, or not. I know the Democrats want to keep it you know, super short. But if you were to testify, what would you say at that trial? That's actually a great question. Um, first of all, they have not asked me, but what they should be asking somebody like myself, who got up before the House Oversight Committee, as well as made the same statements to the Senate and House Select Committees on Intelligence, as well as the judiciary. That, And I talk about it in my book, Disloyal. Donald Trump is like a mob boss who talks in code. Now, this code wasn't all that difficult to translate, yeah. but there are things in what he had said when he blew this MAGA whistle to these insurrectionists to storm the Capitol. There are things in how he says it that I can get into great length and detail on that will, will basically put the nail in the coffin when Donald Trump is going to use the only argument that he can possibly say is that, I never told them to storm the Capitol. I never told them to break down doors. I never told them to try to find and kill Nancy Pelosi or Mike Pence. I never said those words. That's true, Donald. You never did. But when you turn around and you make a gesture or you make a statement like we should go storm the Capitol, we should take over the Capitol, right? What he's doing is he's playing to these insurrectionists the same way he was trying to play to Putin when he said, boy, Russia, if you're listening, wouldn't it be great if 35,000 emails were ultimately found that were whitewashed from Clinton's computer? What do you think he's saying there? It's the same exact thing. One place that the witnesses who are attending uh, the Trump trial, one place they're not staying is the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. Have you seen, Michael, how 
empty that hotel is since Trump has left. It's like a <laughs> it's like a ghost town in there. One of the things that was just so crazy to me, and I don't know, you know, what your perspective of this is, is that you had this bribery, both from domestic and foreign, so transparently out there, both from the moment Trump took power, what we saw in the videos of foreign countries coming in to the Trump building in New York, and what we saw at the Trump Hotel in D.C. Um, what can you speak about that when you were there? I mean, would you see these foreign dignitaries kind of coming in? And was it just known that these people were basically bribing him at that time? Well, you may remember that Trump and children, specifically Ivanka uh, and Don Jr. and Eric, they made a statement early on that all of the profit from foreign dignitaries were going to be either donated or returned to the U.S. government. Now, re people have to remember that Donald doesn't own that hotel. It's leased through the GSA, which is part of the U.S. government. So they are, in essence, his partners. The money that they made from these foreign dignitaries was supposed to go back to the government, but that never happened. And if it did, it's in such a small amount that it's not the full extent of how much money was collected. Now, I can tell you that that place became the meeting ground for all dignitaries, for anybody that wanted to ingratiate themselves into the Trump administration. Because at any given time, you could find different administration officials, cabinet members, and so on, all hanging out, whether it's at the bar or in the restaurant that was there. And so it became sort of a breeding ground of corruption. I mean, Rudy Giuliani sitting, for example, on a couch, right, holding court there with his either wine in the morning or his scotch at night was just a regular routine. Seeing Corey Lewandowski or Dave Bossy roaming the area on a nightly basis, figuring out who that they were going to mark next. I mean, that's what it became. The Trump Hotel became a breeding ground for political corruption. So, Michael, we got the impeachment trial coming up, obviously, and it's looking like these cowardly Republicans will do anything but convict the guy. Only five of them actually stepped out of line to say that the trial itself was even constitutional to even hold this guy accountable for inciting the insurrection. But there's a lot of other things going on behind the scenes. There are criminal trials coming Donald Trump's way. Do you have any indication as to how the criminal investigations into Donald Trump are currently progressing? So I guess you're referring, for example, to Cy Vance's case here in New York, the mm -hmm. New York DA. The answer to that is I do not. Uh, I anxiously await uh, either being called or seeing on television the indictments going out. But today's already, we're in week two since the inauguration of Joe Biden. So why he why Don Jr., Eric, Alan Weisselberg, the CFO of the Trump Organization, Ivanka, Jared, whoever, why there are no flying indictments, I have no idea as of yet. And the same holds forth for Tish James. Now, hers, my understanding, is not at the moment being considered criminal, but rather civil. Uh, I also don't understand why that case has not already begun. Now, again, you know, they may have their reasons and I'm not questioning it. I just, if I was Cy Vance, the second that his ass landed in Mar-a-Lago, 
I'd have somebody standing there with papers serving him, very much like I did in my lawsuit of Cohen versus Trump organization. I'm already asking for him to be deposed. We already served subpoenas Getting right on to his it. counsel and so on. Yeah, fuck it. Right, get right to it. What are you wasting time for? You think Donald Trump's going to come show up at your office and pick up the fucking subpoena? Not a chance. He knows he's got trouble. And the longer and every single day that goes by, you're just empowering him. He's becoming more and more emboldened to continue to do the wrong thing. And every day while he sits there at Mar-a-Lago in Magistan, as I call it in mea culpa, right? Every day that he sits in Magistan with his sycophants and his MAGA army, all sitting, right? He's figuring out how he's going to advance the Trump News Network so that he can now have income coming in because and right now there is no income. And it looked like Magistan when we saw the photo of him and Kevin McCarthy with the tacky gold ballroom behind him. It looked like something that you would see of an exiled dictator, like a picture out of Gaddafi's Libya. And to me, New York is just the tip of the iceberg here. He incited an insurrection in D.C. He should be held accountable for inciting an insurrection in D.C. He tried to mess with the election in Georgia. He should be held accountable for interfering with the election in Georgia. So I think there is a lot more to come on the legal front that even beyond our political processes. And I'm hoping that people start picking up the pace and, and start moving on to the next bits of this. And what about all of the various different congressional committees that need to be you know, bringing up charges um, against Trump as well for witness tampering and obstruction of justice and all the other things that he did to people like myself, right? What I love now are these fucking GOPs and many of the Democrats as well. I have to tell you, it's really beginning to irritate me, something fierce. They want secret service. They want uh, protection because they're fearful for their lives. Now they want to be able to expense flap jackets, right? Bulletproof vests and things like that. I get that. And you know what? They should be entitled to it. But what bothers me the most, where the fuck were they when Trump was doing to me a civilian, somebody who doesn't have Capitol Police to protect them, someone that's not capable of having somebody shuffle me you know, underground through the subway system to a remote location that's safe. I basically had to drive myself to D.C. I walked the streets by myself. I can't walk with family because you never know what one of his MAGA warriors will try to do because many of them are fucking unhinged. And you know what? I didn't see a single one of them even issue an admonishment to him. So as far as I'm concerned, right, join the fucking line of people that deserve protection. Well, Michael, they won't even defend themselves. He's currently witness tampering with them, with the jury in the impeachment trial. A lot of these Republicans apparently are fearing for their own lives, and they still want to kowtow to every single thing that Trump wants. And Michael, the, the impeachment trial next week. What type of shit show is that about to be? So it's funny that you say that because that's what Donald Trump is all about. The whole goal of Trump is to make this into a shit show. It needs to be a circus. That's why I always call him Captain Chaos, because that's what he wants to do. And what's Donald Trump going to do? He's going to play the victim. Oh, they, they didn't want me to be president from day number one. Day number one, they came at me from day number one. Everything that I tried to do, I did great. We never had it better. I mean, could you imagine... He wants the fucking Nobel Peace Prize for creating a vaccine, something that he doesn't even believe is legitimate. He doesn't believe the pandemic is real, despite the fact that it put him on his fat ass, right, in Walter Reed, that his 
kids got sick, his administration, that there's 450,000 Americans that have died. But that doesn't make a difference to Donald Trump. So what is he going to do? He's going to figure out how to turn the entire impeachment into basically another infomercial on why people need to continue to support Trump day in and day out with their hard-earned dollars, whether they're big donations or small dollar donations, it doesn't matter, why you're going to need to tune in to Trump News Network in order to hear the truth, right, as told by Donald Trump himself, with that at the next hour, you could hear the next truth teller, Donald J. Trump Jr. And after that, you could hear more truth from Eric Trump, Laura Trump, Baron Trump, you know, Mickey Mouse Trump and everybody else, Melania Trump, and they're going to have the whole Trump family spewing the same fucking lies over and over again and keep sucking money out of these MAGA supporters of his that legitimately cannot break out of the cult. Finally, Michael, we're two weeks into the Biden administration. How do you think he's doing? So I'm actually impressed with what Biden is up to. Um, The first thing that he did is he took the, look, he took the easy route. He did exactly what Donald Trump did and what any president should be doing now. You take all of the bad things that the previous predecessor, right, did, and you get rid of it through executive order. And that he's doing. He started signing an inordinate number of executive orders, basically undoing Every stupid thing that Donald Trump did from the Paris Climate Accord all the way to, you know, getting rid of these cages for, you know, for immigrants. I mean, whatever, whatever Trump did, Joe Biden is undoing. But the difference and why, again, I'm impressed with what Biden and Kamala Harris are doing, they are actually reaching out to the opposite side of the aisle. The fact that Biden could meet and to talk and to have a civil conversation with somebody like Mitch McConnell in order to try to bring the country to a place of less divisive, um, to a place where it's beneficial to everybody so that they can figure out how to get stimulus checks into the American people's hands. I'm impressed with it because not many people could stomach Mitch McConnell. And in light of the way that he's been such a fucking asshole and such a supporter of Trump through thick and thin. Now, all of a sudden, he's beginning to slowly move himself away from the Donald Trump Trumpism line, right, to something more centrist. That's only because Joe Biden has been good enough, honorable enough and decent enough to allow that to happen. Because all Biden had to do is say, fuck you. I don't want to speak to you. We're going to do what we want. We're controlling the House. We control the Senate. We control the White House. This is tic-tac-toe schmuck. You're out of the game. But he didn't do that. And for that, I give him a lot of credit. Because I don't know if I would be that decent. And McConnell didn't do it (laughs) since McConnell's been in power. No, he's not giving an inch. His whole thing was not giving an inch. And you know what I like? I like that every day. Like with Trump, all you would hear about is Trump, 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 Trump. One, I like not hearing as much about Trump. But two, I like a president who moves in the background, who's a bureaucrat, who does the work and gets it done and doesn't make every single day, every single moment about himself. And Michael, we talked about this on your podcast. You know, it's that abusers mentality that Trump had constantly abusing us as a country every day with the gaslighting, the lies, the the violence in the language, the inciting of violence. And 
what we have in Biden is what we used to have in presidents. We could have disagreements over policies, but it's someone who's heads down and, and doing the work. I admire that. You know, I sit and I listen sometimes to friends of mine, and they're really well-educated, professional individuals, and they always want to bring up Trump and, you know, how I was such a supporter of Trump at the beginning and now how I'm so very critical of him. And then one of them asked me the other day, are there any policies that you think that Trump did that benefited this country? And the answer is yes. Right. I'm not going to turn around and say that there's nothing that Donald Trump did that I think was a benefit, whether to the country or to the world. I have there's no way in the world that you could possibly say that. However, you have to look at the individual and what his mandates were as a total, not as a piece. Yes, I am extremely happy that Donald Trump acknowledged that have an immigration problem. We do. Wow breaking fucking news. But now don't you need to have a policy for immigration? Okay, I get it. You didn't like what was going on. So you put a a hard stop, but you can't. That's the problem. So he took the popularist view and he ran with it, but then he never finished it. And that's even worse because he took apart something that at least there was a process. You knew you had to work within a defective process. He stopped that defective process, but he offered no alternative. So what they do, they put people into cages and then they send them back. So what did he actually accomplish? And the answer is nothing. And the same holds true for prison reform. He signed a fucking piece of paper and then he had Bill Barr put out the first step back, 18 USA, I think it's 3632. He had them come up with a overall general theme to which he, of course, took full pad on the back that he himself has done more for prison reform than any president since Abraham Lincoln. Again, always to Abraham Lincoln. Well, no, they've accomplished nothing. That act basically was the signing of that one piece of paper and that they, the BOP, the Department of Justice, Michael Carvajal, the chair of the head of the BOP, they have done absolutely nothing within which to define the First Step Act. That's like, for example, what I'm suing on right now in this habeas corpus action that I have against the government, the BOP, and Michael Carvajal. This is my point. It's easy to take something apart. But why are you taking it apart if you don't have something to replace it? That's Donald Trump. Michael Cohen, men's fitness model, host of the Maya Culpa <laughs> podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Midas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on Midas Touch. It's really, and, it's uh, really we'll, hard we'll, to get into great shape when you're on confinement. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's funny that you said that really quick. I ended up having to go to the, uh, to the hospital today because um, I hurt my shoulder working out. Now it appears that I ripped the the, what do you call it? The ligament in my shoulder. And now I have to go for, for shoulder surgery on top of everything. Well, we wish you the best on the soldier surgery. If you need me to teach you how to do this, this the shoulder curls and the things, I got you next time. Hey, we'll got, go you out of, got you out of the house, Michael. Got you out of the house. It sure, That's a positive it sure did. Exactly. <laughs> and next time, make make sure the brothers extend the invite to me next time. I'd I'm love sorry, to come right. which brother are you? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Cohen, always a pleasure. Guys, we'll you see you back. Well. Midas, thank you for joining Midas. Hey, podcast. Podcast. Have a great day and, uh, and wish you well on your shoulder injury. <laughs> Take care, fellas. 
Welcome back to the Midas Touch <laughs> podcast, Jordy. I told you. I did you. actually get I into a you. fight with yeah. Michael Cohen on a podcast. If you were to say that whole scenario, Brett, I'll take you a step further. You said if yeah. we would be talking to Michael Cohen 18 months ago, I would tell you, what are you talking about? But let's frame it. If you were to tell me that me and my brothers would be starting a political group that got a podcast, that we would have Michael Cohen as a guest on our podcast, that Michael Cohen and I would get into a cursing match at each Traded other on, a, on the podcast, but that overall, Michael Cohen and I agreed on most <laughs> issues and that subsequently Michael Cohen and I became really good friends. So we're a real world man. <laughs> I would say to you, the simulation is broken. Yeah, the simulation <laughs> is broken. But look, I want to say this about um, Michael Cohen. The same way you reflected on Scaramucci, Brett, about one of the things that scared you was that he was so smart. It's kind of the same thing with Michael Cohen. You know, Michael Cohen truly would have been an asset and is an asset anywhere he goes. This is someone who's incredibly bright, incredibly thoughtful, and someone who is zealous in everything they do. And so much so that Michael Cohen could have gone the direction of a lot of Trumpers who got pardoned, um, who have faced no accountability for their actions. But Michael Cohen, at a time when he had this moral conflict, this moral dilemma, and a legal dilemma, um, but he could have went either way. And he stood in that moment and said, you know what, I'm going to take full and complete accountability for everything that I did. And I'm going to, um, one, repent for it, but two, make sure Donald Trump is held accountable and use the information I learned to do that. Michael Cohen will be looked back in history as a hero. We all may not like the fact that Michael Cohen for many years of his life, worked with Trump. In fact, we may think that that was horrible. Um, but at the end of the day, Cohen is a true hero today. Ben, I, uh, I agree with you there, and I'm happy to have Cohen on our side. And, uh, you know, that's uh, when you get into a screaming match with Cohen in that way, Ben, and that's, that's the only the way that actual people who like each other could fight and then, <laughs> then then go off that and continue to work together and have a productive relationship and stuff. I know it was all in good fun. And it was uh, hilarious though. Oh, and, we, and we actually, and I don't even know if we ever told Michael this, we have a Michael Cohen story in the family. I'm not going to say exactly where this took place, but it was somewhere on Long Island. Our dad ran into Michael Cohen in 2018 shopping. So this matches up to exactly what Michael Cohen was saying. It was just Cohen. He didn't have any security guards or anything like that. And this is on the heels of, of everything. Yeah, and Cohen so, just shopping. I think he was on Miracle Mile on Long Island. I, was, I wasn't uh, going to sell out the exact location, but sure, go right ahead. Well, what are they going to do? Can't, you can't go him? back in a time machine, Jordy, with the GPS and find him. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's not there. No, it's just, no, but it's for the location sake of it. You know, Cohen's finishing know. up his house arrest right now. Other, other podcasters, dude. That's how other people, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. All right, everyone Jordy, Jordy wants to apologize to the Miracle Mile for our father walking into Michael Cohen. Miracle Mile, we hereby apologize. For this was Cohen my night. story. Just let me tell my story. Jordy, Jordy, Jordy. And I want to say this as we um, start to wrap up our wrap up. Midas Touch has been a true labor of love amongst the brothers. Um, it's been such an incredible experience to be able to spend endless time with my brothers fighting for democracy. And as we pivoted from being a political action committee, 
Um, and now we are a media company that also has a political action committee. Um, and both are working to fight for democracy. Uh, on the media company side, I also want to give a shout out to all of our other sponsors um, who have helped us. And it's important, and we appreciate everyone who supports our sponsors. So one of the sponsors I want to give a shout out to who's sponsoring this episode, episode and episode, episode. is... Episode <laughs> is Magic Spoon. I think you're thinking of Spoon. We should do Epispoons featuring Magic Spoon. Um, <laughs> and growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, but I had to give it up because I realized it was full of sugar and junk and things that you really shouldn't eat. For those listening, Jordy's doing his mime routine Jordy's where he's miming, eating yeah. an empty bowl of cereal. Brett, for those listening and watching, actually, for those watching, put up the photo of Jordy eating his cereal as a child. Where, where did you guys get that? We have all your photos because we're your brothers. So we have your <laughs> That was a school project in like sixth grade. Great photo, did, classic so, photo. <laughs> I've been trying to cut down on carb, sugar, unhealthy food and realize basically I can't eat um, anything anymore. That's been a difficult and true realization. <laughs> so sad. Oh my God. <laughs> I've been drinking protein shakes and powders over the years, but finally I found a delicious way to get my protein after workouts. And that is with Magic Spoon. It has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories a serving. And it's keto-friendly. It's gluten-free. It's grain-free. It's soy-free. It is low-carb. What's your favorite flavor, Brett? See, the elite move, this is the A-level move right here. You get the variety pack because you get oh, a bunch of different flavors. Wow. So you get the cocoa, you oh, get the fruity, fruity, the frosted, and peanut the peanut butter. butter. Wow. And I know I, I'm a genius. I say this all the time. I must be a genius because I found the ultimate Magic Spoon life hack where if you combine the chocolate with the peanut butter, you make a peanut butter cup cereal. And ooh, that's the good you stuff. You know what that right makes there, you? Man. That makes you a cereal alchemist. Serial alchemist. Go to magicspoon.com slash Midas to grab a variety pack like Brett likes and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code. Our promo code is Midas at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Midas and use the code Midas to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. Brett, Jordy, any other thoughts you want to share about the origins of Midas Touch that our listeners and viewers may not know about us? 
First off, love Magic Spoon. Thanks again, Magic Spoon. Second off, love this episode format. Think this is super cool. Love reliving those moments. And it's weird how relevant all that stuff is still today, even though we did those episodes months ago. Uh, I think when we started this thing, you know, like, like you were saying, Ben, we couldn't imagine that we would have this podcast, have this audience, be able to speak directly with people. And it's truly humbling. It is truly, I feel like this is like my life's work right now. I've never been so passionate about something and I've never felt more just humbled to be a part of a movement. And and yes, it's something that we helped to create, but it's something that we couldn't create if people didn't join us in fighting for pro-democracy. And just like we were three brothers out there who came together because of passion, because of fear, because of all of it, just because we knew that we were better than what we were seeing as a country. Uh, all of you out there could do the same thing. All of you guys inspire me every single day with the jokes you send us in your tweets and all your activism when we see you out there wearing the Midas Touch gear, registering voters, connecting with people. That's what it's all about. And I am so humbled to be a part of this movement with you and thank you for joining us. That really was, it was a really great and inspirational statement, Brett, but you didn't really answer the prompt. First, you responded that you like Magic Spoon, number one. <laughs> number two, you talked about the interviews. And then three, you talked about how humbled it is and this is your life work. All great points, but not really answering the prompt, which was tell the audience something they may not know about the origins of Midas Touch. Maybe it's that your life work. Is that where you're going there? Was that the... No, I was the, the, what I was saying was that, you know, we just like we were three brothers and uh, came together to do this because we didn't know what else to do. Is there another Jordy. story I should be telling? Of, uh, Jordy, should we, give, should we give, redo this? Give, no, Jordy. No, give stays a, in the a, pod. You know what? No, no, no. I'm not going to give any more behind the scenes. I think we're going to save that for next episode. But until I then, will. I like it, Jordy. I like the teaser. On the next podcast, we will be giving you some great information about Midas Touch that you haven't heard yet before about the origins, about deep our creation. We'll go, we'll, we'll go deep on the next Midas Touch podcast. But I want to give a special thanks to our guest, Anthony Scaramucci, Michael Cohen. Thanks for being our guests then. Thanks for being our guests again on this special edition. And we hope you enjoyed this special edition format. And maybe we'll try it again next time, huh? Let's do it. Jordy, <laughs> any final words? Just one. A couple. Shout out to the Midas Mighty! Midas!